Hello, this is Michael Canfield, and thank you for joining us today on The Dog Watch. A dog watch is an evening shift of early or late duty, or the people who undertake it. This dog watch considers the natural world and the things that help us experience it, from dogs to watches and everything in between. Ultimately, it's a place for us to go wherever curiosity takes us. On this episode of The Dog Watch, we talk with Scott Hofert at Colson Keen Leather Goods and Accessories. We learn about how Scott started the company after he decided to make his own iPad case, how the company grew into the form it is today, and we also hear Scott explain the background and particulars of some of his designs and his business. Make sure you listen until the end of the interview, where Scott has generously offered a discount code for Dog Watch listeners. Now, let's get on to the conversation with Scott Hofer. Most times when we talk about a business starting in someone's backyard or shed, we are speaking figuratively. But like so many things at Colson Keen Leather Goods and Provisions, things are literal, and that's just what happened. Today on the Dog Watch, we are very fortunate to be able to talk with Scott Hofer, Colson Keen's founder and head leathersmith, about topics from their origin story to the details of their bags that they describe as overbuilt, intentional, and one for a lifetime. Scott, thanks for joining us today on the Dog Watch. Thanks, Mike. It's good being with you. Well, you know, I just want to set the stage a little bit um, for this amazing origin of of Colson Keene. And I wonder if we might start with like the original shop. When I was thinking about talking to you, I'm like, I couldn't get away from wondering, like, what did that original shop slash place that you, um, you know, that this came from, what did it look like? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, it's, it was not that sophisticated by any means. Actually, my first sort of quote-unquote shop was on our back porch. We had a screened-in porch and had a folding table, and I had just turned 40, and so many of my friends had these sort of outlets that they were doing, these 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 things that they would do at night with, with their hands. And um, I'd been mostly in the nonprofit space, and most of my world resides on phones and computers, and I'd come home at the end of the day and nothing to show physically for my my efforts. And I was a little jealous of my buddies who also like were in banking and in the service space, but then they would come home and they maybe would work with uh, wood or uh, they played a, a, in the band or they, they did something with, their, they work on their motorcycles. Like they had this outlet that they would create and, and do something physical to show their time, which is frankly something that humankind has done for, well, really since our inception, only the last hundred years or so is the idea of a service sector or a service industry even been an option. So I thought, well, I've always loved all things leather and I found a hide of leather and a fistful of tools, put it out in my screened in porch, put a table out there. And my oldest son at the time, uh, I, I believe he was around uh, six or seven. And he and I would go out there and, and we would make you know, really bad versions of like a, a comb sheath, right? Or because everybody needs a comb sheath, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, belts or wallets that were just sort of jacked up a little bit, but kind of finding some energy in it. Not only was I with my son, but I had this outlet, and it was it was just a lot of fun. And so, about uh, maybe eight weeks later, me and 10 million other people 
ordered Steve Jobs' first iPad. And that iPad shows up. And um, the first thing I Googled on this incredible piece of technology was uh, an iPad, or it was a case for it. It was some way to protect it. And the industry literally didn't have any. And so I went out to my trusty uh, porch and I made an iPad sheet. So like I was, it was just very, um, tactile for me. It was very, uh, accessible. It was just, a, it was an outlet. And, and again, it was, there was no sophisticated space. It was literally, uh, my screened in porch and, uh, I had to be careful how loud to pound because on the leather, because my neighbors would go to bed at this. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of it. Okay. So what did the first, what was that first iPad case? Was it just like a piece of leather that you folded over and sewed up or what was the design? Yeah. So you, yes, what you just said is exactly what it was. It was by no means something that was hyper sophisticated. Um, it, it was, I took a piece of leather and literally folded it and stitched the sides and I thought that that would be something that would um, would work for the immediate future until I could buy a real iPad sheet. So it was really simple, really lean, really minimal. That's that's really the ethos of how how we make our items to this day. Mm-hmm. Anytime I can do as little stitching as possible, anytime I can remove something, I'm not looking to. It it has to it has to work. Um, otherwise it's excess, it's superfluous. So we try to stay away from it. Okay. So uh, one question about that process, you got a hide of leather. Like, how does that work? I I don't know how you would just go out and find one. Do you have like, did you go to a craft store or where did that come from? Yeah. So there, so literally I I Googled leather goods and I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there happened to be a store two miles from my house. I had no idea it was there. (laughs) And I walked in and it was just the smell of these hides was awesome. The, the tools on the wall of which I had no idea what they did. The, and I I found myself uh, just spending time in there asking a ton of questions and trying to figure out the process to things and how these tools worked and what was efficient, what was not efficient, what you called certain leathers, um, why certain leathers might be different and more helpful for other items. And what I found was most people in the leather space, they, they like to be ornamental with their experience. They like to, to mark up the hide with certain etchings and they, they, they love, at least in my experience, they love the excess of it. They love the, as many accessories and diamond studded parts you can add to it and metal snaps. And I found myself not being drawn to that side of it. And 11 years ago when we started this thing, it, it wasn't as prolific as it is now, but in the day, there wasn't a lot of people doing it. And if they were doing it, it was more um, sort of artful in, 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 the, in the more pretty form. And there were so many more nuances to it that we were trying to stay really clean and really minimal. I can remember going into these, this leather store, once I understood what I wanted for our, our items and our brands, and they would always try to upsell me all these these assets that would supposedly make my leather experience better. And I said, no, no, I want to, I want to eradicate that. I don't, I want to do as little as possible. I don't want to even paint the edges of the, of the leather. Um, a lot of, most leather smiths, they, they paint and they, they treat the edges sort of almost to hide them. For us, it was literally about 
exposing the rawness of this experience, the the naturalness of, of the of the entire hide or the bag or the belt or the wallet, whatever it might be. Yeah, and it seems like on your um, current products and, and the ones that you've made, there's almost no ornamentation. I mean, there's the brand, but um, again, I haven't thought of it in that lens, but I, I can't think of any real or what I would call ornamentation. It's very streamlined. Um, it, yeah, that, that's true. So the, by, by definition, and again, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I tend to be somewhat minimalist in my approach to things. So I thought that would be that that sort of lended itself to be true of our items. But on a real practical side of it, I guarantee our stuff for life. So in order to do that, as few things that I can add to it allow that product to sustain itself through however you use it. One other question sort of about the development and your perspective on kind of creating that aesthetic. You said that you always had been interested in leather goods, et cetera. Are there particular bags or things that you had had earlier in your life that that you can point to that affected that or was it was or is this just sort of a general interest you had earlier on um no there there was a previous narrative i w- i had this ongoing dialogue with my wife so we've been married 20 years now uh when i started this business uh we've been married 9 years and i i found myself not necessarily looking for new leather bags. I mean, I always had a leather bag and I always had an obsession with that or a belt or a good wallet or whatever it might be. But I found myself being more drawn to the Ebays of our world where you could go online and find a bag or a leather good that somebody else has spent 50 years beating up. <laughs> and that was what I was drawn to. Huh. And so I would, of course, I would go on there and I would find one and and they, they still weren't cheap. I'd, I'd spend four or five hundred dollars for these bags that were fifty years old, and my my wife would say, um, and I'd go to her and say, "Listen, sweetie, this is my last one. I will. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm done." And so, and you you're laughing because you probably know what happened, right? Oh, yeah. Eight months later, I found another mm-hmm. one. Like, oh, babe, listen, yeah. I'm going to sell the other one. And I'm going to buy this one now. Yeah. And so, I remember just I would get I would get a glass of wine and sit down on my computer. And sort of get lost in the the things that are leather on in, in the used space or in the Ebays or whatever it might be. And so when we went to start playing with making our own goods, I, I had in my mind a vision of what I thought maybe we would like. And so most of our hides, by, again, by design, when you touch them, they mark up really quickly. They, they show you know, the opening of the buckle, even when we make the, the item and it shows up in your home, often it's a little bit um, marked up because the leather is so responsive to that. It's, it's begging for it. And so the, the hope is that when you open up one of our, our bags and a year into it or six months into it, that bag starts to look like something maybe your uncle gave you right. 50 years ago kind of a thing. Right. So one last question on that, because it's fascinating. When you did this, when you were looking at these bags, right, one of the things about leather that I want to explore with you is the longevity of it, right? If you care for it or whatever. How did you screen for, you know, leather that was 50 years old, but still valuable? Because I often think, I guess we would often think of leather that's old, having not been taken care of and kind of crumbling, etc. So how, how did you deal with that? Well, again, the the person that probably had a 50-year-old bag uh, had done something to, to maintain it. Ah. So there was a sense that this this thing looks like it's uh, either it's been beat up or it's actually it's been treated well and beat up simultaneously. And so 
Um, you know, I, I might have bought a couple bags that that were haunting a little bit and didn't live up to the expectation. But overall, I was able to, you know, you could, you could just see how this person treated. It. And frankly, it, the bags that I was buying in the day, anyways, were people bags that people didn't want. They were they looked like mistakes. They looked like they were an old beat up, you know, bag um, that that was not wanted. But that was what we were looking for, and that really inspired how we're how we see our product to, right. to this point right okay so take me then you've got the first ipad ca- case the piece of leather folded together stitched up in, in the back porch w- yeah. what happened next um yeah so you know most people when they start a small business they have a business plan and it's really clear in their mind where they want to go and invariably it still doesn't happen that way but there's a sense of here's where here's the vision here's the future i had none of that um it, I, this whole thing was at least early on, it, it kind of fell into my lap. I mean, since then, I've realized we've had to be intentional with things. But early on, it was, it was this sort of glorious mistake. And I, um, I, so I got this leather. I'm in the back porch. I make this case for it. I, and, and my wife sees my, my you know, iPad case, which was very basic. And she said, um, you need to put that on Etsy. And my initial response was, you know, hey, babe, uh, at least 11 years ago, Etsy was about beanie babies yeah. and knitting, right? right. And so I, I thought there's no way. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it. She knows her stuff around the, the, the internet really well. And so I, I put it on there and it lit up. And I think what happened was, and I didn't put two and two together until a little after the fact, but everybody was Googling an iPad case like I was. And there were, it, for a brief period of time, when you would Google that, there was a big fat zero which never happens. And, and I might have literally been one of the few. And I don't, it's, it's, again, I just happened to fall into it that was literally making iPad cases. And so I would come home from my, my work during the day. And throughout the day, my inbox was lighting up with people wanting to buy our, our cases, these wow. iPad sheets. Wow. And it was, it was one of these things that was, I, I, was, I was floored by it. it was, I was so thrilled by the possibility of this. But I also knew that whatever works now will not work a year from now. You know, it's this kind of systems theory that things are always changing. They're always evolving. So I was very, it was very clear in my mind that this was not going to be um, a, a long solution, that I had to uh, add to this. I had to evolve it. And so I thought, well, what if I make one of, uh, I make a wallet and make it r- really simple so I, didn't, I couldn't mess it up and, and I advertise that next to the iPad sheath. Well, somebody maybe want the wallet. And if I advertise maybe a belt, well, they want to buy the belt as well. And so that's exactly what started to happen. And then people started buying these, these other items as well when they would go there. And then I thought, well, <clears throat> I really still don't know what I'm doing. I really I'm not even sure I was that good at making leather goods in the day, but I thought, well, what if I tout our company as a as a custom leather good service? So then you could call up and say, hey, I want this made, I want that made, and uh, and people started responding. I was completely floored. They were one guy calls up and says, listen, I ha- I love baseball. I want a baseball themed sort of like a glove, a baseball glove bag. Can you do that for me? And so. We you know spent a little bit of time on the phone a couple of drawings later, and I put together a a, a bag that had kind of like a, a laced solution like your baseball glove would do and and he, he apparently was was satisfied with it and then mm-hmm. somebody called up and said, listen um, yeah th- those those toiletry cases that you you make and I, I literally hadn't even finished my website yet and I was still close enough to to it was public so anybody could see my edits and what I was doing because I was so unaware of how the process worked. And 
people were calling up and say, listen, I, whatever that square thing is on that one section on the site, I think it's, I think it's for toiletry. Can I have one of those? Actually, I want four of them. And by the way, how much is the price? What's the cost? Because I didn't, I didn't even finish my website yet. And so in real time, I'm like, well, uh, $75. I'm like, okay, I want four of them. And then, oh, and by the way, there's shipping too. Okay, no problem. This, this is the old days when you, when you couldn't do, you didn't do shipping for free. People would pay for it. And so I just found myself in this, in this space where it was just sort of evolving. Um, and there, it was just a lot, it, it, it moved from iPad cases, iPad sheets quickly to these other items. And, and then, and so now I'm finding myself working, yeah, I'm working my job five days a week and then I'm coming home six days a week and six nights a week and just working like crazy. And then, um, a guy calls me up, it's August and he says, listen, uh, I have a, we have a company and we have, we have uh, some high end clients and we would like to make 150 bags for these clients. And I need them in six weeks. Can you make it happen? Now, again, I'm still on my back porch, my screened in porch. I had no staff. I had nobody to help me with this. And I said, well, of course it, it was almost like this out of body experience. I respond, well, of course we can do this. No problem. I hang up the phone and you know, a little bit of a panic attack, but we kick into solution mode. And six weeks, eight weeks later, he had his bags. But I realized at that point I needed to scale differently. If I did, if I did everything custom, it would be the tail wagging the dog. And I needed to really create some items that were more standard that I thought people would like. And then we could kind of tweak from there. And that was one of our, our first really big systems shifts. And then the next big system shift was we went and we moved from my porch to my shed. And I thought, we got to get a little more formal with this. We got to create, you know, it was getting a little bit cold outside. Yeah. So I needed to put a heat place heater in there. Um, this was, this was 2008 and the downturn had just happened at a friend of mine who was in his early sixties, got caught in the downturn and, and needed a little bit of work. And I said, well, listen, John, I don't have, I don't know how much work I, I'll need, but I think I got maybe 10 hours a week. Would you be willing to come in and just help stitch some of these iPad cases and some, make some belts? And he said, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And before he knew it, he was full time. And I, I, what I realized that I didn't really know at the time, but again, I fell into this, was that if I could be involved more in engaging the clients, engaging the customer, if I could be more involved in, in doing some of the, the messaging and the marketing, uh, and, buy, and, and now taking more time to find the supplies that were higher end and scaling some of that, people would, I, th I think the company could grow. And that's exactly what happened. So I went from myself in the back porch to our 10 by 10 shed and all that was a complete game changer because there was a workstation. Yeah. There was a place for people to come to. Um, we had, I remember this was, this was like eight, nine years ago and we had the, the RNC uh, was here in Charlotte and uh, you know, all, all these politicians and people you know, landed in Charlotte and I had a I had an address on my website because it was a it was an address to ship something, but it was my house because the back right. of my house was the shed. <laughs> so I'm sitting at my other real job, and my phone rings, and it's these I don't know politicians, these guys in five thousand dollar Hugo Boss suits that are saying, "Hey, listen, we're here at your at your studio, but it's a house, and <laughs> we're not sure where to go. We're in a cab. What oh, should we man. do?" I'm like, oh. "Give me five minutes. I'll be home." So I ran home and these guys are walking through my backyard in these fancy, you know, shoes, getting mud on their shoes. I literally have to empty out my shed 
Because at this point, I had three guys working in my shed for me, mm-hmm. full time. I mean, OSHA and my neighborhood association would have lost their mind had they yeah. known this was going on. And so I have to empty the shed out so these other guys can come in. And they start building out the bags. That, you know, they wanted some bags and they wanted some other items. And that elevated it to another sort of system shift for me to realize, wait a minute, people want this experience. They don't want, to just, they don't want just the wallet or the bag. They want the full orb experience. They want to be able to walk into a space, smell the leather. They want to be able to see the, the people that are potentially making that good for them. Um, and they will even, they, they, they'll pay a premium for that experience because they know there's more going on. There's a story, there's a narrative behind all of this than the bag itself or than the belt or the wallet, whatever it is. Uh, you had to do a killer product, but it, there was a story that people seemed to really be excited about. And so that, that moved us really to our kind of to our next space in our next season. Um, and we can talk about that if that's right. what you want to talk about. Absolutely. I'm curious though, how long were you in the shed? Cause that's kind of a, a an interesting phase. Was that a year yeah. or about a, about a year and a okay. half, maybe 15, 16 months. Wow. All right. And, um, you know, literally, I mean, I, I got a, I had a dude in there. It was like six, three. I mean, I had big people in this shed. You know, he was a, he was a, he was a, a corn fed Midwesterner. Just, you know, just, I grew up, I, I spent time in the Midwest too. Like this, yeah. he, and they're back there. And I mean, it's, it's cold outside. It's, you know, we, it's, we don't have this we don't have weather like you guys have, but we, we still get cold winters or we get very hot summers. And so I got AC units in the windows and I've got leather that I'm trying to keep treated in the space. And I mean, it was, it, uh, these guys would show up at like six o'clock in the morning and they all were like 60 plus and um, they would they would need to come into the house to use the restroom like every 15 minutes it felt like. And so my wife and I would literally have to get our day going really quickly to get the, you know, so that they could be in our house so that they could do all that. And then the shipping happened out of our house and, you know, our local USPS person was picking up boxes and bo- more boxes every day. And it just be, it just, it was really a fun season. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of energy. There's a lot of hope in it. Um, it, you, you could barely stay on top of it all, and that that was a lot of fun. And and, and uh, that I look back on that with incredibly fond memories. But that was about a year and a half where it, okay. it happened in our property in our house. And uh, any stories with the neighbors with dogs? Like any dogs get a hold of a bag and run off with oh, it? Man. Or... <laughs> Great question. No, well, that was part of the part of the whole thing was as well trying to keep this thing quiet, right? I yeah. tell my guys like. Hey, listen, kind of park down the street a little bit and, you know, don't, don't make a big scene out front. I was just trying to, again, just to keep the neighbors at bay from this thing. But uh, my boys, Colson and Keen, who are the namesake of my company, uh, my boys were young at the time. And um, my youngest, Keen, he was like three or four. And so invariably he's in the backyard playing and he would be dressed up as Superman or Batman or whatever and running around the backyard with a sword and trying to save the world. And of course he would go in, not, you know, in, into the shed where these guys were. And these were, these, these were awesome dudes. Um, yeah. I mean, these, I trusted these guys. I mean, they were literally, they had keys to my home and they were around my, my family. Um, and these, these men were just amazing. Uh, so, and still, um, still connected with some of these guys. Um, and so the, of course my sons would walk in and they would say, Hey, can you make me a, 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 a sheath for my sword and they would make them short see short uh, you know like yeah. uh, belts and different items just to help them in their play That's awesome. and so that was kind of cool and then one day um, I'm at work it wasn't there I was at my other job and uh, I got a phone call from the guys in the shed and they're saying hey listen your son locked us in and so 
he literally, my youngest son, like four at the time, went and oh. took a stick and put it put oh. it through the door so they couldn't get out. And oh. so, you know, he just, you just, you had these sort of really meaningful experiences yeah. that only a, when I say small business, I mean like really tiny small business can, can encounter. Yeah, something um, really genuine about that, right? About yeah. coming by it sort of with honesty and, and, um, and experience. So, so yeah. that's fantastic. So now transition to your shop now. Can you walk us around a little bit? What does it look like? Smell like? How's it different? Yeah. For sure. So we had, we, uh, we made one more transition compared to where we are right in this moment. Oh, okay. So um, we left that shed and we moved to a space of just a, a mile from our, the, the house. And um, it was about a 1500 square foot um, old warehouse. It was a killer space. It was, you know, cement floors, brick walls, big, huge windows. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just absolute beautiful studio. We had, so we went from, um, you know, a hundred square feet to about 1500 square feet. And we didn't know what to do with ourselves. We thought we just got way too much space. And so, we ended up, we put a couple benches in that we had a, a little bit of a retail space up front. It was mostly a showroom. I had a, some space for shipping. It was, you know, a space to store leather. It, it, the whole thing became uh, way more fluid and, and way more um, intentional. Um, and then we began to realize that while that was still working, we really needed to expand even more in terms of, of workspaces. Um, so we live with this duality as a company that we are a retail company while we're also a manufacturing company. Yeah. And how you run those, those entities, both are completely different. Uh, the, 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 but yet in our case, they, they come together. And so <clears throat> I began to realize that that's, that was a unique variable for most companies. And so it meant we could control a lot of things in-house. So if somebody says, hey, I want, it, I want that leather, that brown to be more tan, and if I had the hide, I could, I could make that item for them, whether it was on our website or not. Um, people would say, uh, one of the things that, we, that was beca- has become a lot of fun over the years is we offer a service that says, if you want to be a part of making your own bag, you yeah. can come in. Yeah, I saw and, that. And Mike or Tony will sit down with you and spend a day helping you form and create this bag. So, you know, again, the whole experience that we learned, that's the narrative. That's what people want. Right. Because at the end of the day, there's really good leather companies out there. So how is it that we can allow ourselves to, to be a little bit different and what, what can we offer? And so while we've been able to grow and while we have four benches now with um, six different staff and a couple of interns at any given time. Then I got a couple of staff that kind of run operations and shipping and all those things. While we've moved to that in terms of scaled a little bit more, there's still very much an intimate feel to what's happening. So we moved out of that 1500 square foot space into a 6,000 square foot space, uh, maybe four years ago now. And that's, that's our home. And so when you walk in front and center, the whole thing, our four benches with four of the most amazing humans, artists, uh, working with their hands, um, forming these leather goods. And that always stays front and center because that's what, that's the, to me, that's the wow factor. Yeah. Yes. The, the end product hopefully is, is, is really good and it's going to serve really well to the consumer. But in the end, when they walk into our space and they, they, they smell the hides and they, and they see the, 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 the hammers and like these old school tools, uh, people threading with their with their own hands and punching holes with their own hands. Um, it it's a very organic experience. Yeah. So where did you get the leathersmiths? I mean, again, not that you pick them off a shelf, but uh, you know, it can't be a, a lot of people out there who do that. Um, 
did you train them? Did you get people who have experience? How, how did that happen? Great question. So um, at the end of the day, if you ordered something from me 11 years ago when I was making it or you're ordering it today, you're going to get a significantly better uh, product. <laughs> I wondered about that. I didn't want to uh, say that. but No. Not, yeah. I, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a running joke. So we guarantee our stuff for life. So if, if, if a rivet pops or a stitch goes, somebody will send that bag our way and we'll heal it and send it back to them. And invariably, um, the guys are like, ah, this is one of Hover's bags. Yeah, I can yeah, see this that. Is, yeah. you know? And so, um, you know, they, they, so not only do they have to fix the stitching, they have to clean up a whole bunch of mess that I made in it. Right. So we definitely have, have that going on. Um, but you've got this, you know, we've got this internship experience. We've got people in the space that just really seem to, um, to take very seriously what, what they do. And mm -hmm. so it's just a lot of fun to, to watch that. And they're very passionate about it. Um, in terms of training them, most of them come to us um, with no training. Uh, just in the last few years, have we been able to find people that have some experience with leather itself. Uh, what I look for are people that, are, that have sort of an artistic uh, um, passion, uh, skill set, Maybe they've been good with stitching um, uh, with a sewing machine, for example. Right. So I don't even care if you've used the leather medium before. I'm more concerned, what kind of goods can you show me that you've made before? Right. And so if, if you can work with wood in, in, the, in the machine relatively well, or if you, can, if you can knit, or if you can show me how, what you've made with a sewing machine, uh, then I'm pretty convinced we can train you with the items that we have here. Um, and so most of our folks come to us with some leather experience um, nowadays, but early on, it was f nobody had really any leather experience. It's full, fully trained in-house because our stuff, our stuff's pretty, like I said, it's, it's minimal. So because we don't have all the, um, the di diamond-studded nuances all over it, it it's, it's a very learnable uh, skill. Doesn't mean our guys aren't and gals aren't incredibly gifted in what they do, but it, it's something that is, if if you if you pay attention to detail, uh, you can learn it. Yeah, and it's, uh, something that attracts me about it is it also seems that you don't need a lot of uh, uh, you know complicated equipment. There's a lot of handwork in it, obviously, and you know it's it's made literally by largely by hand, mm -hmm. which is yeah. Super so cool. we we don't uh, only about three years ago we actually bought a sewing machine. Um, but up to that point, it was exclusively by hand. Um, and the sewing machine allows us to, we are able to introduce some other kinds of leathers that we're able to play with and do some other things with. Um, but even that, when they cut it, most of our, like all our bags, for example, when they go and cut out a bag, uh, they, lay, they lay a cardboard like die template on top of the hide, mark it out, and then cut it with a straight knife. So it's... Every every piece is just gently off, just gently unique to the piece that was made prior to that. Right. Well, I have a, a number of questions about sort of the materials, right? And then uh, uh, some about design too, and I, kind of leading into that. Um, but first, the symbol, right, that you have, the Colson Keem symbol, what is the tool or the, that symbol yeah. specifically? So that's a, it's a it's a it's a cutting tool. It's a, it's a knife, for lack of a better term. It's an incredibly sharp knife. And what the way you're supposed to use it is you would you would lay it down and you would roll it, and that rolling would allow you to keep a straight line, um, and it works quite efficiently. Um, 
So that's that's a tool. That's it's an old school tool. Um, to be honest with you, we we don't really use it because we just we literally use box cutters to cut our leather because it's we're having to change them because we do so much of it and you have to sharpen it so often. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, about the leather, right? You have um, buffalo hide, you have cow hide, and then you have different finishes. Um, the Havana Brown, the natural tan, et cetera. And I'm curious um, how you establish those. And also with the different finishes, I know obviously the natural tan takes on a lot more of the patina. Are there also other differences? Like does the Havana Brown, is it more brittle or does it age differently or are they all pretty similar? I know there's a lot in that question, but I'm curious no, about what you can say about the yeah. leather. So most of our hides... Um, a little bit like I was talking about earlier, they respond to the touch. So if you come to me and say, listen, I want to get a hide where my, my bag looks brand new for the next 20 years. You're pr- we can do it for you, but at the end of the day, you're probably not coming to the right people. Yeah. If you want something, you're almost looking for something more refined, something, um, you know, like coach bags, which are beautiful. They're beautiful bags. And, you know, whether you like it or not, that that's fine. But you, you can go get a coach purse or a coach bag and it's going to s- sort of stay true to, or like a Tumi bag. You know, it's going to stay, that, that black leather is going to stay true to its, its um, sort of newish look for the, for its duration for the most part. We literally are trying to do the opposite. Okay. Um, so by definition, we want that leather to age as quickly as possible in terms of its appearance. But in terms of its quality, um, all our leathers are, are um, you know, like too thick, too, too weighted, too, uh, so like our bags are made out of what we call in the, in the leather space, they measure thickness in ounces. Um, don't ask me why, but they measure, measure in ounces. So like eight, nine ounce is about a quarter of an inch thick. And so all our bags are made with eight, nine ounce, quarter thick inch leather. Wow. Um, so you're not going to break it. You're not going to tear it. <laughs> Um, you're, you're, I've, we've been this for 11 years. I've never seen a piece of our leather ever come back. Wallets, uh, journals, belts, bags that have ever torn. Um, you know, maybe, the, maybe the, 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 a rivet will accidentally pop here and there, but at the end of the day, uh, by definition, we try to make these things so that we never have to see it again. And, and you're a happy client, happy customer. But the leather, by definition, is supposed to be response to touch. Okay. And how does it go, you know, again, looking at it, um, it's relatively stiff when it starts, right? Yeah. And how does it go from stiff to supple? What's that process like? Is it does it take a long time? Does it uh, not too long? It's yeah. so most of our stuff is a lot of our stuff won't ever get supple. So again, what I when I we make some of our stuff will, but for the most part, if you buy one of our bags, by definition, you're going to buy a bag that that we want the constitution of that bag to stay true forever. So you put a document in there, it's not going to be a dog ear. You put a computer in there, it's going to be protected. Okay. So it's going to stay pretty solid, but where it bends, it will, it will evolve and, and, and bend really easily. It's sort of like a wallet, right? right. You get your first wallet and you put your, you try to put your 10 cards in there and you can barely fit them in there, but a week later you forget that they didn't fit the week prior. Sure. So it all stretches uh, or it all gives with it. So uh, time is your, definitely time is your friend with, with our bags. Okay. And tell me a little bit about the snaps and, and the, the hardware. Like, how did you establish those? Was that complicated or was it just pretty much like, yeah, we just get the best snaps, we found them, and that's that? Yeah. You know what? I, in a weird way, it was incredibly complicated 11, 12 years ago. There just were not companies that 
aggregated all this content in one space. It was, it was haphazard. You found like, sometimes you'd find some stuff on eBay and, or you'd find some stuff, you know, some, some random website in the middle of nowhere that you, you could get a certain snap, but then you, you couldn't get it in the same color as the rivets. So you're trying to find those. And only in the last handful of years have, have, have the, has the industry start to catch up and say, we need to serve these people a little bit more efficiently. But for the most part, um, early on, that was a really chaotic process. Huh. Um, and it, it was, it was actually quite, quite a frustrating process because you just, you couldn't always find the, the metal work that you always needed to match the leather. It felt like the leather was more accessible, but even the leather for us, that was something that took us years to find some of it because you would, again, I would go search online and I would find uh, a distributor in New England somewhere and I can remember flying up and, and visiting them and trying to see their warehouse. Like, what, what do you actually have here physically? And, and what could you stay on top of getting for me? Um, or I can remember going to a tannery in Chicago um, and, and finding what they have there. And so you, a lot of it was the same thing with equipment and, and metalwork, just trying to constantly find it. So, like, for us, we have a buckle that, that we use for our belts, uh, that we use for our bags, it's an incredibly heavy, thick, dense, weighted buckle. It's a European uh, company that makes this, and um, you, I, I can only find it one place. And we buy thousands of these buckles a wow. year. And I, I wish I, I wish I could do other things with it and tweak it or make different sizes, but I can only find the one size inch and a half. But it, it has to be a. We have to have a heavy buckle because you have this thick leather. And often buckles are thin and hollow and they sound chintzy. I don't want that to be the case when you open this bag. Right. So there's very few buckles out there that are really weighted and really heavy. And that's where, again, it's, it's first world problems, but it, it sounds like really dramatic that you have to spend this kind of energy finding these parts. But once you find them, it's fine. But it just took a minute to really discover these, um, the, the metalwork especially. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. You, you could, could kind of see it going either way, right? Like I wondered what you were going to say and yeah. could imagine, oh, there are millions of types, but um, at that level and that quality, it sounds like it's pretty limited. So it is, yeah. All right. So design, I got a few questions on design. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering uh, how some of these designs came about. And I wanted to ask you a few different mm -hmm. questions about different things. I did want to say for listeners, on your website, you've got a lot of great videos that, you know, walk through the the design and the, the object itself. So you can, mm. it's fun to just like look at them, et cetera. So um, people should know those are out there. Exactly. But, um, you know, I kind of wanted to walk through the development a little bit. For example, the 4316, the Bohemian mm. leather satchel mm. with the inserts accessories. Could you describe a little bit about that? Like how that yeah. came about and how you decided to do that? Sure, sure. Well, so first of all, our videos are are horrifically produced videos because <laughs> they're me with an iPhone <laughs> saying here. But so I try to explain it. So thank you, I appreciate it's it. It's fine but though, right? Like they're it works informative. Great. Hopefully, they're informative. Yeah, they're so great. Hopefully, like, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, maybe I'm just uh, um, justifying my own um, level of um, you know technology and execution. But you know, right. it, it really comes across, uh, and and it's fun to watch. So. Thank you. Well, it's authentic, if nothing else, right? Yeah. So I appreciate that. Um, so, so the forty three sixteen, and to be honest with you, the way we these numbers that we we label our goods are have to do with dates. Oh. So the forty three sixteen was like what's that? That's like March, and in two thousand sixteen, like March third, two thousand sixteen. Oh, um, okay. That that's when that bag kind of surfaced for us, and then we have forty three thirteen, that was a few years earlier. 
Uh, we have a 4311 that was a few years before that. So that's kind of how we've been able to, um, that's how we do that. So the 4316 that you just talked about a moment ago is really a response to the one that we built a few years earlier called the 4313. And the, the, 40, the, the one we did a couple of years earlier was, is, is, a, is sort of a basic, for lack of a better term, box of leather. Um, and what we've, if, again, if you look at that high, if you look at that bag, you're, you were to deconstruct it and take it apart. It's basically one piece of leather with two side panels. And so that structure, that design has been true for just about every bag that we make, duffels, whatever it is. Again, that makes for a, from a design perspective, it makes for something virtually indestructible. Nothing's going to tear, no, no, nothing's going to pop, as little stitching as possible so that uh, you're dealing with just leather on leather. And now what, what it makes for a more premium experience because what I end up doing is I take a hide of leather and I might be able to get one or two bag bodies at best out of a hide because every hide has got its, its version of imperfections on it. So I'm trying to dodge those imperfections where right. most bags are made with small pieces of leather stitched together, uh, which are fine and doesn't mean that's not a good experience. It's just that there's a chance of that breaking down. So that 43... 13, the, the, the first bag, one, one of our first really keystone bags that we ever made, um, it was a sort of boxy experience and invariably somebody would buy that bag and then they would say a couple of years later, four or five years later, hey, listen, my career has shifted. I need to carry um, more stuff or less stuff. Can you edit the bag? Well, unfortunately you can't because there's just too many things that happened already that you can't make it smaller or bigger. So we would we ended up designing this 4316, which is what the bag that you referred to initially. And to oversimplify, it's basically the the its predecessor, the 4313, but with pouches that you can add to the exterior. So you can you can add these on, and you can buy them separate from the first from the bag itself, and you can add them on at home. So it's an editable bag um, that allows you to say, all right, listen, I'm home for a month. I'm not going to be on the road. So I'm going to take off some of these compartments or I'm going to take off for a couple months and I need to have as many pouches to hold the things that I carry. I got my, my Bose headsets and I got reading glasses and the sunglasses and technology and cables and passports. And we're finding more and more of our clients, especially those that travel a lot, have, they almost, they almost live out of their bag. And so it becomes this, it, it, and so, and, and they want the experience of it. So um, they like the buckles that slowly, you know, open the process, and this creaking sound as the bag opens up, and it's just this full-bodied experience that that we made editable, so that you could grow it, shrink it, do whatever you need to do with it, um, buy it as a base, so the base model, and then over the years maybe you add to it. So right. that's kind of the design concept of the forty-three sixty. Yeah, it's it's super cool, and and. You know, not many bags have that kind of uh, ability to, you know, design it yourself, right? And and create something. So that's a, I think that's a unique thing about the product. Um, okay, a couple, I, I've got a couple short questions about yeah. other designs, um, sort of speed round, if you will. Cool. Um, so the Traveler, the 312, mm -hmm. um, have you ever thought about the, the handle? Because some of the bags you have have a handle on them, right? right. And then a strap. That one doesn't. I wondered if you've ever played with that, like a yeah, absolutely, that. yeah, yeah. So people ask for that all the time. Really? So okay. This would this would be one of those kind of custom situations, right? Okay. So somebody would say, "Listen, I want a handle on it. How can we do that? No problem." And we basically make a shoulder a shoulder strap that's that's stubby, uh huh. And then that becomes the handle along with the shoulder strap attached cool. as well. All right. So, so that's yeah. something that you could like. If I called up, I'd say, "Hey, I'd like that." You'd say, "Sure." Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. 
Um, the uh, utility bag, the 217, um, it's a bigger bag, right? It has the camera insert that you make um, with the padded stuff. I'm curious kind of how how heavy that thing is, right? Because I haven't had it in my hand. Like if you, is it is it a reasonable um, weight or does it yeah, get heavy? It's a, it, it's a couple pounds, you okay. know. So well, it's not so it, bad. It's, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be lighter. It's going to be heavier than obviously a canvas bag. But by the time you put your cameras and your technology and now you're at 10, 12, 13 pounds, a couple extra pounds at that level doesn't matter. Right. Um, it, 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 it might some people, but people are trying to, again, you're buying the experience here. If sure. you're looking for something that you've got a thousand different compartments with zippers, we're, we're not your person. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how that works. But that's a cool design, right? Because it seems like it's super um, uh, flexible, right? You could, yeah. It's got a nice big compartment. You could use it for a lot of different things. So, for sure. Yeah. People and, use and camera bags. They use it as tech bags. They use yep. purses, whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. The collar and leash, right? Since it's the dog watch, I love dogs. Yeah. Like, when did yeah. that come about? Um, how, well, how long ago or, yeah, it's a great question. Maybe seven, eight years ago. It, it, it's sort of surfaced, uh, um, most of our stuff surfaces from our own clients saying, Hey, listen, I have this need. What do you, what are your thoughts? Can you, can you make it happen? And sometimes like, you know, that's a brilliant idea. And so we, we might take a version of what they d- design and, and make it a little bit more Colson keen eyes. Um, but that's often how it's happened. So invariably somebody said, Hey, listen, I, I got a dog and I need a, a dog leash. Can you make one? Like, well, <laughs> if I can put a belt together, sure we can do yeah. that. And so you begin to realize, or I think we had, a, I think there might've been a, across from our studio, there was a, um, a, a, a like a, a dog place that would take your dog in and all that kind of stuff. And so I think they came over one day and said, listen, we need a bunch of collars and leashes made. Would you do that for us? And so yeah absolutely cool. and so a lot of our clients have, have sort of triggered some of those ideas for us right all right so you said, mentioned the belts the 814 and 914 belts mm-hmm. um belts are complicated in the sense that like when you wear them some belts really don't age well right they mm-hmm. bend or they um, don't look good because right. they stretch out etc how, how do you make sure i mean i'm i'm assuming that your belts you know it seems like they hold up just fine mm-hmm. H- how do you control for that or did you ever have problems with that or is that just just the quality of the leather yeah so um every belt's going to s- gently stretch a little bit i mean it doesn't matter if you know what size your waist is you put that thing on you crank it down you're going to see a little bit of stretch so there's always a little bit of that happening um but you're never going to see the leather peeling you're never going right. to, you know, it's not like we have these two ply leather uh, pieces together that, that are sort of thin faux leather that are going to fade. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, so, um, again, I've never had a, I've never seen one of our belts break. Um, I've never seen it tear. You'll see it stretch a little bit because it, and, and often somebody will come in and say, listen, you know, I lost 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I need to make the thing shorter. And so you can see where they, you know, they put some energy into it sure. over the years. Um, so, and, and I've got, I got a dozen of the belts myself and I use them all the time. So yeah. they will, they will stretch a little bit, but in terms of we will guarantee the belt for life. So it'll, yep. it'll last you for, for awesome. Um, the card wallet, I saw on your videos that it, it looked like your dog got after one of them, right? <laughs> he did. Yes. H- how much dog damage do you see? Like, do, is that a, a common problem or like, do do people call you up and say, my dog got after it? Can you repair it? Yes. Or is that, is that unique it to you? It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, it, I have to admit it's a little bit funny. I, to me, how people get their bags destroyed is so funny to me. I don't know why, and I probably shouldn't be saying this publicly, um, but it's just it, like a dog will chew it up and they'll, they'll, they'll send us a, a picture. It's sort of like the dog eating your homework kind of a thing. And like, man, 
this bag, this, you know, this belt, this bag, this wall is mangled. Can you can you fix it? And I'm like, well, if it's a, you know, if it's a side panel, we can replace side panel. So we we're healing that stuff all the time. I had one guy come in, unrelated to a dog, but he came in and he said, "Listen, I um I took off with my bag on the top of my car. I forgot it was up there. I drove half a mile before I realized my bag wasn't there, and I was dragging it underneath my car. Oh. And he brought the bag in, and it was all mangled. And it again, it was one of those like he thought it was like he thought he lost a loved one. And yeah. I'm trying to keep it all together because this bag looked beat up, and um, we were actually able to resurrect it. We, wow. we had to, the, the the metal work actually bent and got banged up more than the leather itself did. So we were able to put some new le- metal work on there. Clean up some of the, the 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 leather and gave him his bag back, and he drove I think for half a mile in wow. his car. Do you have? I mean, speaking of loss, do you? Uh, I actually just had my car broken into. The, somebody smashed the window and stole my my um my you know briefcase or whatever. Uh, Thankfully, yeah, it wasn't a Colson Keen. But do you have people who are like, you know, I've I, you know I've fully lost it, and and are you have to console them? Or? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. So I mean, that happened. My my wife. A bag I made for her with her computer in it, same thing. They broke yeah. it in the back of our window. We were in Atlanta visiting, and they broke in the window and stole it. Um, recently, I had a guy show call us up and say, listen, I had a house fire. I lost everything. Oh. And you know, there was like five or six things they were able to get out, and your bag was one of them. Oh, wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you. Can you clean it up? And of course, like, oh, absolutely, please send it our way. And we, you know, we just cleaned it up and, and gave a little bit of extra love and sent it. Yeah. And, and then he came to pick it up. So, I mean, here's a dude that lost everything. And so all of a sudden, in a weird way, that bag was even more meaningful because it's one of the few things physically that he had left to express his his history as a human. Yeah. One of the things I, I love about um, the company that you've created and uh, um, just your story is, you know, it starts out with you kind of just doing something that you love to do and you're interested in, right? right. And also the things you produced have meaning beyond just the physical objects. And I think that's a great example of it, right? Where, you know, it becomes something that survived, right? And you've got with you. So that's cool. Okay, last product question, 514, the trucker wallet, which is super cool, <laughs> um, just as an object. How many truckers actually carry it, do you think? Like, is this a probably, trucker thing or, or not? Yeah, pro- probably none. I've probably okay. a trucker that actually carries it. Um, it you know, it's... it. The design of all of that, in that trucker wallet in particular, is and like I so I carry one in my backpack, and I just keep like my extra business cards or credit cards. I'll keep cash in it. It's kind of a catch-all. I'll I'll keep change yeah. in it. I mean, I hate change, but I'll throw my change in that thing. And um, so I designed it with this with this intent of um, you know if I if I was like a if I worked at a restaurant and needed to organize my cash my tips, or if, if I, you know, just needed a catch-all that I could throw in my back pocket and go, um, that's what this was for. And so, uh, while I, I would like to think there's possibly some people out there in the trucking space that are wearing or <laughs> are using our wallet, yeah. um, we do have a lot of our folks that, that use it because they, whether they use it like I do or they actually carry it in their back pocket, um, it's, a lot of our wallets are smaller and they use sort of a front pocket wallet. Yeah, it's a, I mean, yeah, like the little card case and stuff seems like a great yeah. one. Um, but it, the trucker wall is iconic, right? And it's yeah. it, it just seems like a cool product. All right, a, a, a sort of question about the product and how you market it. Kind of my last main question, other than just a couple wrap ups. What are the challenges to helping people understand the value of this product? Right when you when you put it out there, do you have challenges, or do you feel like people just sort of they come to it if that's something that they value? Yeah, great question. Great question, Mike. Um, no, an informed customer is our best customer. 
So only when they really get what we're doing does it make sense to them. So most people don't go online and just buy a bag the first time they see it. Uh, they, they might spend a year uh, checking in. They might call us. They might talk about it. Uh, it's a very, very slow process. Yeah. Um, for all the reasons I understand, right? It's an investment. Uh, they want to know what they're getting. They, 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 they watch my terrible videos. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they, they sign up for our email list and they get our emails every, every week that we talk about new items coming out or whatever's going on. Um, and they just, and then they'll, like I had a guy show up yesterday or two days ago, he and his brother, every year they go on a trip together. And on that trip, they like to buy something. They sort of remember that trip. So they, they called us, you know, a month or so ago and they say, listen, um, I've been following you for nine, 10, 11 years. And, um, we're going to be in Charlotte on our trip. And could we come to your studio? I said, well, of course you can come to our studio. Yeah, come on by. And so he and his brother came in and they just, we, we talked, we interacted. They told me their connection with, with our brand and how they saw it and the first time they saw it. And he's picking up items, talking about them in the first person. Like he, he knows what these are. And I was like, oh, I mean, that's so, I'm so honored by that process. And, um, by the time they left, you know, they, they had purchased a few items and, um, so it, the, our, our clients, uh, when they understand what they're getting, it really serves them well. Um, and it takes, it takes a minute. So yeah. the marketing side of it is, is, is challenging, um, because it's not like you can just say, well, here's a, here's a belt and boom, there it is. Or here's a bag and here's this, it, it almost doesn't always speak for itself. Right, uh, because when you see it, you, you, you know I don't understand what that that bag looks. It's too over engineered. It's too it, the, it's too bulky. The the buckles are too big. And the, it, why I don't it's there's there's not enough pockets. And I want zippers. And I want all these things that we don't do because they don't last. And uh, but once they understand who we are and why it is the way it is, then now they're in a place to move on something. Yeah, I, I'm curious about the on ramp, right? When we're thinking about on ramp for a listener, for example, mm -hmm. I mean, one one way to do it would just be like to you know order up one of the bags and, and yeah. be done with it and have it, right? But right. do you have people obviously come in, but also mm -hmm. buy one of the smaller products like a yes. card wallet, et cetera, just try it out, see how the leather works, and be like, oh, okay, I get it. Is that a typical absolutely. thing and something you for suggest? Sure. For sure, uh, well, absolutely, um, because it's it's sort of so. You know, we we kind of think we have an ecosystem a little bit. So somebody that might buy a bag um, decides, well, you know what? I also want a journal or I want a wallet. And it can be reversed as well. Some might say, you know, I'm going to get that wallet because I'm interested in some other items, but I want to test the waters first. Um, they'll test our customer service. They'll right. test our, do we, you know, will we back it? Will we do all the, is it, is it live up to the expectations that we say it should live up to? Um, and that tends to be, it happens all the time. So we had 50% of our sales last year were uh, return customers. So wow. we're constantly trying to figure out how can we create something that, that once they're in, once they're trusted, um, we might have them for a long period of time or maybe even life if we're lucky enough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that seems like the 50% number seems like a really good sign, right? That people are coming back, right? And want more. Um, we're grateful. And, as a last question, so are there any things that are coming, right? New things or things that we should be aware of as people who are following it and interested? Yeah. Anything on the on the bench, so to speak? Yeah, for sure. We're always we're always about twelve or fifteen items out, um, and it's just a matter of of the the design process can take a minute. So it takes a minute for 
you know, I, I have a drawing and I'll put it on the bench. And from that inception to actually it being finished where we can now replicate it can take several months. But, um, we're working on a, so there's a, there's a bag that the Swiss army used to carry, uh, like during World War One, World War Two, early of last, last century that, that they designed. It's really cool looking. And I, I remember years ago, I was, um, I was in Kathmandu, Nepal, and some, some guy had one, and I almost, and this was, I was like 20 something. I, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking I'd have a leather company one day. I almost offered to, like, I wanted to buy the thing off the guy. It looked so cool. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah. I wish I did it. I never did it. But so I, re, and I, and I've envisioned that bag for a lot of years. So the, the military makes this, the Swiss military made this bag. And so we uh, are in production right now with uh, one of, one of our leathersmiths just finished our first sort of prototype. And hopefully by the spring, we'll be in a place where we can then put that out there, you know, to our, to our clients. Um, so that's a new bag. And how big is that bag? Like what, what's the general size or shape? Yeah, it's about the size of the 4313, which is about four inches thick. Yep. And if I'm looking at it, it's about 16 inches from left to right and about 10 inches tall. So it'll, it'll hold like a 16 inch MacBook Pro um, or legal documents or whatever it might oh, be. Oh, cool. All right. Well, that sounds fantastic. That'll be fun to look yeah. forward to. So, Appreciate well, that. you know, I know you've got lots going on there and I want to be respectful of your time, but thank you so much. I, again, I could ask you questions all day and, and wish I were in the shop with you right now um, because <laughs> it sounds fantastic just to be there and just to handle things. But, you know, in the absence of that, thank you for sharing um, the perspectives with uh, me and your, and the listeners here about uh, about the company and your experience. So really appreciate it, Scott. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the work you're doing, um, it, you know, inquiring of different people and the work they get to do. It, it's, it's meaningful. It, we all want to tell our story, and thank you for the opportunity for us to, uh, letting us do that. Yeah, well, it's been great to be with you on the uh, Dog Watch, Scott, and um, wish you the best of luck. Thanks again to Scott for taking time away from the bench to discuss his work at Colson Keene. He has graciously offered the discount code DOGWATCH20, which you can apply to your purchases on their website, colsonkeen.com. That's spelled C-O-L-S-E-N-K-E-A-N-E, colsonkeen.com. And don't forget to write a short review of the Dog Watch on Apple Podcasts and to subscribe. If you do, send an email to onthedogwatch at gmail.com and you'll be entered in a drawing once we reach 100 reviews. Our music credit today is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLeod, courtesy of Creative Commons. Until our next shift, this is Michael Canfield thanking you for joining us on The Dog Watch.